the state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at an historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laugh as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in. Let's give it up for our super producer, Mr. Max Williams. (laughs) Spicy Boy, a.k.a. Yeah, yeah, a.k.a. Street Name Spicy Boy. That's B-O-I. And let's also give it up for our research associate on this one, Mr. Max Williams. There we go. A little energy here. Uh, I'm Ben. uh, Joined, as always, with the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Noel Brown. Noel, Mainly myth. I like to think of myself as a mythological figure. myth, yeah. Sort of a winged Pegasus chimera Uh type figure, you know? Would you say that's a former career? Well, uh, it it, it continues to aid me in my current career. But yeah, uh, back in the day, in the days of of yore, I was more of a harbinger of the plague, uh, things of that nature. I mean, Noel, I have known you for, I've worked with you for years now, and I have never seen you in person. Well, there you go. You've seen my head, which is a sort of sort of like a sphinx rules. You know, I've got the human head, but that's why I only show above the, the neck on the zooms. Never will you see my winged uh, shoulders, shoulders, or or claws or talons. Got goat legs down here too. I said Pegasus, but you know I'm still a biped. I don't know why I said that. Yeah, yeah, sort of a centaur, Pegasus. Mm-hmm. If anyone is, uh, if anyone's interested in my former career, I think all I can legally say is that there is a total lunar eclipse that occurred this past Tuesday as you are hearing this episode. No other spoilers. Have fun. See me at the mirror or the crossroads in the dark. Today we are continuing uh, something that has fascinated all three of us. Uh, We're looking at 
the surprising former careers of notable historic figures. Uh, we're talking about heads of state. And in this episode, we're talking a lot about actors. Now, it's it's true. We discussed this in Surprising Former Careers, part one. It's true that a lot of times in your history books, you'll see someone remembered for just one thing, right? Like Buzz Aldrin may have some cool emo albums, maybe a classical guitarist. The main thing Buzz Aldrin is known for is being an astronaut. There's a great Mitchell and Webb skit about that. And today, Noel, we're we're diving into some pretty surprising careers. I'm, I'm really happy, Max, that uh, you also clocked our first guy, Christopher Lee. Oh, what what a what a bad can I say badass? Did that yeah, get yeah. Yeah, Oh, okay. No, okay. What a badass this guy was. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's first of all, he's, he's a badass when he appears in films such as The Wicker Man. Uh, no spoilers, but he's a creepy, culty kind of fellow. Obviously, he played the the evil wizard Saruman. Uh, in uh, in the Lord of the Rings films, and he was also like an early Dracula, uh, Drac Dracula, 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 a good one, sort of in the era of camp. But he definitely brought a little bit of debonair swagger to that role. He sure did, and he lived one epic life. Christopher Lee passed away at the age of ninety three in twenty fifteen, uh, and in his time as an actor, he made. Well over 250 movies. I think it's uh, 275 movies. Uh, he's known for these iconic portrayals, often in horror films. But he had come to this. <laughs> he had come to this film industry as a veteran. He was born in London in 22, 1922. Not he's he's just playing Dracula, folks. He he is human. Uh, he was 17 when. The UK entered World War II, and he volunteered for the Finnish army. And he has this great quote where he says, we went there with a group of friends and said we wanted to help. We could shoot pretty well, but could not ski. We were thanked for our help, but didn't, of course, get anywhere close to the border. And that wasn't enough for him, no. He wanted the action, you know. Oh no! Exactly. He wanted to get in there. He wanted. He wanted to be a part of the the fray. So he went back home to the UK and he enlisted in the Royal Air Force. He had unfortunately though damaged his optic nerve, uh, which made him ineligible for flight uh, certification. So he served as an RAF intelligence officer instead. Uh, which, as we know, this is kind of where some of that early you know, UK uh, intelligence kind of spycraft stuff arose from. He ascended to uh, the rank of flight lieutenant, and uh, he essentially was responsible for briefing and debriefing pilots um, and also being kind of a go-between between, between uh, the pilots and other units within the division. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this This idea of being an intelligence officer sometimes sounds super cool, sometimes sounds super you know, nerdy, but there's a murky part to the narrative here. This guy, Lee, says that while he was an intelligence officer, he liaised, as you said, Noel, with uh, some 
some pretty elite units in World War II. We're talking SAS, Special Operations Executive, the kind of folks who send people as assets off the books under the radar into enemy territory. His military career, as far as we can tell, appears to be chock full of James Bond type stuff. And you can hear these uh, stories about how he personally snuck behind Axis lines, how he helped destroy and sabotage aircraft, how he participated in retaking Sicily. But again, there's a lot of allegedly here. And he also helped track down Nazis. Again, this is this is largely bandied about, but the nature of some of these missions are such that they couldn't be officially confirmed for a long time. Check out, by the way, uh, an episode of Stuff They Don't Want You to Know coming out on federal classification uh, with Nolan. Uh, uh, Max, you'll be producing that one with us and our good friend, Matt Frederick. As a matter of fact, Max, just for fun, can you, can you play the, uh, the Matt Max sound cue? Nice. Mm, hits every Never time. a wrong time. Never, never a wrong time. Gosh, what a bop. So the thing is, Noel, as you know, Christopher Lee never really talked about his wartime experience in depth. He actually, in 2011, he said, let's just say I was in special forces and leave it at that. People can read into that what they like. And read so into he, it, they did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is the kind of statement that makes one's imagination run a little bit haywire. So they're within within that statement and, and his sort of, you know, attitude towards talking about his past became this, I can relate, mythologizing kind of of uh, this period in Christopher Lee's life. A man who would ultimately go on to become much more known as playing badasses in movies or at the very least kind of, you know. Uh, creeps and weirdos and, and arch nemeses. But after his death in 2015, a guy named Gavin Mortimer was able to do a little bit of digging and uh, unearth some very interesting findings in an article for The Spectator. Um, ben, if you would, my friend, this is, uh, this is really kind of the, the lead here. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gavin Mortimer says... Lee didn't exactly lie, but he did lead us on, encouraging us to believe it had involved more daring do than it actually did. <laughs> daring did. <laughs> uh, daring did. There it is. There it is. No, we're keeping it. That was gold. Uh, so people go back and forth, is what we're saying, about the um, level of possible embellishment in Lee's military career. And again, the thing you have to remember about that kind of work, intelligence work, wet work, tradecraft, whatever you want to call it, is that when it is successful, you don't talk about it, right? You just don't. It's just, hey, that guy fell out of that window. Uh, it's so like sad. Fight Club. What's that? It's like Fight Club. The first rule is you don't, you don't talk about it. What are you uh, talking about, Noel? Exactly. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah. So we see that there were um, we see there are competing claims about the level of his involvement 
directly in the action. This guy Mortimer, I'm so glad you brought him up, Noel. Uh, he is one of the on record, um, one of the on record researchers disputing some of these claims. He says Lee did not serve in the SOE or the SAS, but he does confirm the guy did function as a liaison officer between 1943 and 45, and he says Lee was perfectly free to talk about the details of his service. So he may have been, you know, kind of encouraging the making of his own myth. As you pointed out, Max, we, the people, the public, uh, both sides of the Atlantic, will probably never know the truth, the full truth about Christopher Lee's military career. But we do know that he did something and then he left and made a uh, legendary career as an actor. Uh, it, <laughs> and you have to wonder, you have to wonder uh, what that kind of life was like. I, I remember reading an anecdote where, wherein Christopher Lee interrupted the filming of a scene to say, hey, that's not the noise people make when you come at them behind with a knife <laughs> and, and like, apparently he did the noise. It was like, here's how, here's how it sounds. That's the throat. That's where the throat gets. Shall we, shall we litigate this a bit between the three of us? What do you think? Was he, was he building a myth, you know, as, as the band beach house would say, building himself a myth, um, was this to add cachet and swagger to maybe his his Hollywood street cred? Or was he just kind of tight-lipped about it and this guy Mortimer doesn't know what he's talking about? Yeah, I mean, I, let's let's litigate. Let's do, because... What did Mortimer fun- even pull? We have very little, like, you know, deets, like, as to, you know, I don't know. If it was truly off the books, you're not really going to find it in any books or records, books, right? right. Yeah, and that's why we have to go to these statements, right, and treat them objectively. One piece I will note is, you know, everybody's waiting for us to point this out. Obviously, Building a Mystery by Sarah McLaughlin is 100% about Christopher Lee's military career and the later cover-up. Absolutely. And all you, all you have to do is read the lyrics, folks. We're not here to persuade you. We're just giving you the facts. And those facts are solid as long as no one checks that claim about Sarah McLaughlin and building a mystery. Right. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised in this case. Would be like, he'd be talking to someone after the war and they're like, uh, they're like oh, so what'd you do? And he kind of just told him something like that. And it's like, oh, was that like special operations? Were you like tracking down Nazis? And he's like, sure, why not? And that's where a lot of this spun from. <laughs> but I did want to give a shout out to the research material on this one. It is from an All That's Interesting article by Kalina Fraga titled, great title, by the way. From Nazi hunting to covert missions inside the military career of actor Christopher Lee. Yeah, and when you put that in a headline like that, it turns heads, which I think is what headlines are meant to do. But uh, alas, we really will probably never truly know the real extent of Christopher Lee's military career. Ah, and speaking of headlines, let's go to our next surprising career. Just the headline we'll give you from New York Times by Michael Beschloss. For Harry Truman, the buck stopped at a brush with bankruptcy. 
Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car. I'd get that car. And I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody like I mm. was in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonneville's. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. But it, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. Well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. So, Harry Truman, uh, some of you may know him as a former president of the United States. Uh, he was, before that, deep in the hat business, and he was not great. 
at selling hats. No, no. Um, a haberdashery, uh, which I think is, is, is also, it's not just a hattery. It's a men's clothing boutique of some sort. I guess maybe they leaned a little more into the, into the hats. And it all goes back to kind of a series of unfortunate events, beginning with his maternal grandfather, Solomon Young, who did, in fact, strike it rich during the California gold rush. Uh, this, you know, newfound largesse uh, allowed him to build quite a large ranch, around 40,000 acres. Um, this is a big deal. This is, this is, a, is a massive uh, piece of property. The ranch could have potentially been worth millions of dollars. Unfortunately, though, he did one of those things where you like you sell your property when it's underwater, essentially, uh, or when you like owe more than the property's worth, or at the very least, selling too early, you know, and paying too much, and you're screwed. You know, that's why you got to have those diamond hands. Got to have those diamond oh, hands, yeah. Solomon Young. Yeah, people don't really say that anymore because I think <laughs> people are very over crypto. But this is sort of like a speculative kind of situation and either, you know, time it right or you don't. And, uh, and, and Solomon didn't. No, unfortunately didn't. And this means that when, when young Truman is growing up in Missouri, uh, everything depends on their rather humble farm in Grandview. Now, look, Whatever you may think of the Truman administration, which is by no means a perfect administration, you have to admit Truman was a smart kid. Uh, he loved reading. He really wanted to go to college, but he had to stay and work on the family farm, which was quite common for uh, young men in his day and age. And he, like the rest of his family, was aware that his grandfather could have could have set them up for life and his his personal life probably would have went very differently had that had, had he been born into silver spoon territory so he knew he had to make his own way and he was plowing the farmland there in grandview and thinking one of these days i'm a be a big deal you know i'm gonna be a wheel as they said back then uh he went and fought in world war one he comes back and he's like i gotta make something happen. I can't, I can't be here in the dirt my whole life. And he has moved to Independence, Missouri at this time. He has married up, as they say. His wife, Bess, was a uh, high muckety-muck in the Society of Independence, Missouri. He links up with his old army pal, Eddie Jacobson. And he says, you know, we did a pretty good job running our side business in a canteen when we were there at Camp Donovan, Oklahoma. Uh, and Eddie, you've worked for years in this haberdashery business. Why don't we start a little store of our own out in Kansas City? And so they do. Truman and Jacobson, uh, located at 12th Street and Baltimore Avenue, Right across from the, I think it's pronounced Mulebach Hotel, uh, may well be known to current uh, Kansas Cityites. Uh, they sold all kinds of menswear. They sold shirts. They sold stiff collars and neckties and gloves of all varieties and belts and uh, those Panama hats, I think is the ones that like you wear on safari. Uh, you know, oh, tie those pins. Are yeah, hats. yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, underoos, uh, underwear, uh, presumably boxers and or briefs, silken, you know, feels good against the old, uh, the old, 
you know, Australia. There you go. A little Australia or medium or whatever. It takes all kinds. Seemingly a plethora of offerings. Uh, also, you know, they pitched their army buddies, you know, to, to, to kind of drum up business for them. Truman actually wrote a letter to an ex-military uh, friend of his, former lieutenant, uh, saying that we are not handling any booze or candy or apples. I love how those are the three things. He wants to get that out of the way real Just quick. In case he you knows this guy. Yeah, he's like, okay, bro, I know you. We're out at. We're not in the apple game. We're not in candy, and also no to booze. No but booze. but our shirt line and the rest of it are as good as money can buy. Yeah, and Truman is the accountant in this outfit. Jacobson, Eddie Jacobson, is the buyer. Truman also puts up the majority of the capital to start the store, and he does this by selling off pieces of the family farm. Uh, never, never a great look. And Truman himself was apparently uncertain about e exactly how much of his holdings were in this partnership. In 1920, this is Truman talking in retrospect, in 1920, he said the business earned as much as $70,000. That's about 830 grand today if we want to inflation calculate. So not that, uh, you know, not too much to sneeze at there. That's, that's pretty great. But Nothing exists in a vacuum, and the store is not immune to the post-war bust, or what we would call the interwar bust now, that time between World War I and World War II. There's a lot of deflation in prices. A lot of people are out of a job. This also later leads to an attempted coup of the uh, Roosevelt administration. Just going to throw that one in there and move on. So, the thing is, you can blame the national economic environment, right, for the store's problems. Yeah. But, it, but is that the whole explanation? Maybe they just weren't great at it, man. I mean, it sure seems like they had a bang-up, up, upper-class men's shop, you know? But uh, maybe they just weren't particularly good with money or with, with handling inventory. You know, there, there's more to running a small business than just having cool stuff. And, uh, and filling a need, because there's also, like, a lot of procedural things that you have to do correctly. Maybe their their friend, they told, like, no booze, no candy, no apples, showed up there, and he's all like, yeah, I'm going to buy a bunch of stuff, and then walked in, there was just, like, a ton of candy and apples everywhere. Just everywhere, and he went and told everyone, <laughs> like, they're liars, they're liars. No booze, no booze, by the way, but plenty of candy and apples just everywhere. They even have candy apples. That's, what? that's, the, that's the last straw. Too far. That's a Rubicon too far. But cross it, they did. Uh, the issue was that they are selling what you could think of as kind of luxury goods, right? In a time when many people are not just figuratively, but literally tightening their belts. Mm, and austerity. Yeah, just so. And this is where things get ugly. This, I think, tells us a lot about the nature of Harry Truman's character. In the spring of 1922, stuff is clearly going south. The business is finished. 1923, Truman gets elected to be a judge in Jackson County, Missouri. And he later says, 
Our creditors drove Eddie into bankruptcy, but I became a public official, and they couldn't do that to me. Doesn't sound like a real buddy system there. Sounds like he uh, cut the guy loose when it wasn't convenient to be friends anymore. And Alonzo Elhambi put it this way. This is Truman's biographer. Um, There is this quote that Max pulled from an article in the the New York Times by Michael Beckschloss from April of 2016, where he takes this quote uh, from Truman's biographer that I think sheds a good bit of light here. Quote, the ethic by which he had been taught to conduct his life told Truman that the formal legal renunciation of debts was disgraceful. So while he didn't have, like, all of the, the, the money on hand to repay his debt uh, from the failed haberdashery, he did pay the bank back about 10 years later at less than 10 cents on the dollar. So who's dictating wow. these terms is my question. I mean, it's, it's like he's, wow. he's throwing his weight around a little bit and saying, uh, you can't really mess with me because I'm an elected official. I mean, I, I, I will say when, like, you know, you, someone does file, like, bankruptcy or something like that— you, I mean, I don't know what the normal average amount is, but like you, it generally is at a largely discounted rate is what you ha- end up having to pay back then compared to what your actual debts were. Now, 10 cents on the dollar, that's a... Uh, that's a deal. That's, that's, that's a, a deal. Yeah, that's a deal. And speaking of uh, throwing around weight, yeah, bankruptcy works differently for the wealthy and the powerful, as anybody knows. And by this point... Old Harry Haberdasher Truman is a United States senator. So historians are still divided on whether this helped him get a better settlement or whether it damaged his case because the people he owed money to might be able to say, we're going to embarrass you. We're going to say, hey, should this guy be a senator? He can't even run a friggin' hat shop, which would be a good, you know, a good smear campaign. Well, you know, I think we're going to get into how this experience may have uniquely prepared him uh, in many ways to take on the kind of like or, or occupy the shoes, let's say, of other, you know, normal Americans that were struggling during during these times and maybe kind of impacted his uh, economic you know, goals and, and, and values a little bit. There, there is a, a really great line from also the New York Times article that, uh, that we had mentioned saying at the time when, when he opened this haberdashery, he lacked a grasp of macroeconomics, let us say. Right. Um, which, you know, again, just by kind of virtue of, of learning by practice and by screwing up, I think he kind of, he, he got that grasp a little bit later in life, maybe without having to have some sort of advanced degree. Which is kind of cool in a way. Your Honor, I lack a grasp of macroeconomics. It is well known. I will gladly give you 10 cents on the dollar. On the dollar. Uh, so, uh, so after uh, FDR, after Franklin Roosevelt dies in 45, Truman is moved up through the ranks of power. He's gone from judge to senator to vice president, and now he's president because FDR found a bucket and kicked it. By the time Truman runs for president on his own, it's 1948, and most people are talking, there's a lot of good information control here. Very few people are talking about how his his haberdashery went belly up. They're talking about how he's a veteran, and he was manning the White House, you know, and uh, this is also the start of the Cold War. Let's be more patriotic. And there is some pretty compelling 
research that seems to indicate Truman's firsthand experience with a terrible financial situation made him more cautious in dealing with the finances of the United States. To your point, Noel, he could say to millions of Americans, hey, bud, I've been there too, and it stinks. So let's make sure we as a nation can avoid that situation. And remember Jacobson, uh, the fellow that he went into business with early on, mm-hmm. um, despite the hat shop or whatever, haberdashery kind of, you know, going belly up, they kind of kept in touch, uh, which is, it's again, neat. Truman did seem to have a connection to his roots that was not diminished by his growing success in politics. Um, so the spring of 1948, his old buddy actually suggested that he should recognize the state of Israel, which was, mm-hmm. a, which was absolutely revolutionary uh, and controversial at the time, right, Ben? Yeah, this is something that tells us a lot about Jacobson and Truman's friendship. You know, understandably, if a business venture doesn't work out between friends and, you know, one guy is still struggling financially and the other guy becomes president, there might be a little bit of tension. But, uh, you know, these guys have put their life on the line for each other all those years ago at this point. So this informs Truman's campaign. And he goes on, you know, he goes around the country and he warns voters to not slide downhill into bankruptcy and poverty. And then he puts a little jab in there, right? Always be closing on a campaign trail. He says, the way you did under the Republican 12 years of rule back there in the 20s. Ooh, sick (laughs) I know. Yeah, twist it, twist it. Uh, Can't make hats, but he can make, uh, he, he can make some negs. Uh, <laughs> you could say the only reason our Republicans were in charge for 12 years was because Woodrow Wilson sucked that bad, though. So. Oh, yeah. Give us a boo cue. I hate that guy. We're back to, to, to ragging on Woodrow, huh? Yeah. All my old hometown hero, Woodrow of Wilson. <laughs> Always got to rag on Woodrow Wilson. If you got a chance, even if you really are just kind of jumping that shark right there, like that was a stretch on my part but i got in there and yeah. no i like woodrow it wilson you yeah. suck I, did i, I, I yeah. did i mention last time we, we had a woodrow hating session that i once lived on the corner of woodrow and wilson mm-hmm. <laughs> i think you did i can't remember oh, it was on air or off but I'm but you sorry. know i've seen i've seen max at uh different shindigs and social get-togethers and that's your icebreaker max you know you just you just freight train into a conversation and you say also Woodrow Wilson was a terrible president and people are super receptive. I think you have, I I think you're an orator, my friend. Thank you, buddy. I mean, it's easy when your icebreaker is just such a undeniable truth that Woodrow Wilson was just the worst. (laughs) I've seen it. I've seen it. You Lothario. It's a, it's a unique angle and and it's working. Uh, Also Truman. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. 
Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonnevilles. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. <laughs> well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. He leaves the White House, as we know, in 53, and he had certain ideas about how an ex-president should behave. He actually did not hop on that revolving door of lectures and ghost-written books and getting affiliated with different corporate boards. He just didn't want to play the game. And it may have been an ethical quandary for him. Um, it's tough to know the inner motivations of someone like this without talking to them directly, but it left him so broke that he's he is the president who went to Congress and said, hey, can not just for me, can every president have a pension when they leave office? Again, he's he's like, picture this pitch. He's going, hey guys, being president's tough. 
You know, I know everybody in this room wants to be president and, you know, may the odds be ever in your favor or whatever. But what happens after presidents? Not just mine. me. Yeah. yeah, another former president friend of mine was wondering, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Also, <laughs> was this, I guess this was before the days of absolutely exploiting your former position into like book yes. deals. And that really yes. wasn't a thing yet. Because that, to me, is the stock and trade of a former president. You're going to make seven figures for the rest of your life just on like doing speaking engagements and like, you know, uh, getting book deals and, and things like that. Yeah, I mean, there were many presidents before who had done a predecessor of that, but this was before um, the kind of celebrity status that you see people assume after leaving office these days. Uh, And, you know, it's not always presidents. Senators do the same thing. Also, I want to point this out because I was thinking about this. I'm just sitting back here. I don't actually know the answer, but how many ex-presidents were even alive at this point when he's going there? Hey, FDR, friends of his. No, FDR's dead. FDR is dead, obviously. Woodrow yeah. Wilson's dead. George Harding Washington's dead. Adam Harding is dead. died in office. I'm assuming Calvin Coolidge. I know Hoover was still alive. I'm pretty certain Hoover was still alive at this point. So that's about it. So a friend of his could use some help, is what he said. So I like yeah. I like the way we're doing this. So uh, we know that he did get back in better financial shape. In 55, uh, when the some of the farmland that he still held in Grandview was developed into a shopping center, similar to the strip malls you might see in your neck of the global woods, Truman Corners Town and Country Shoppers City. It sounds a lot like that Tim Robinson sketch from I Think You Should Leave Now, The Shops by the Creek. Mm-hmm. That's what happened. He had yeah, a shop by have? the creek. They got some, some quality... Uh, Quality boutiques there. Not no haberdasheries, I fear, but I think there's a pet smart, perhaps, right? <laughs> right, right. A, a target, uh, you maybe? know. Yeah, there's a lead depot, there's a mercury salon. Love that. Uh, there, there's an as, asbestos uh bridal shop, you know. It's called as best it as it gets. Yeah, it's called as best as it gets. And not to bury the lead nor the lead. Uh, he also, in 1960, I mean, he remained active in politics, so he did the thing that you see all sorts of former presidents do when their political party has a uh, has a candidate. He stumped for John F. Kennedy and Lyndon B. Johnson. He got them to make a campaign stop at his mall, which is a very American thing to do. And uh, <laughs> then... And maybe this is how we end this part. Then, uh, almost 100 years later, after that hat shop, after that haberdashery, excuse me, closes down, Truman's Corners gets rebranded as Truman's Marketplace. It has a Petco, it has a TJ Maxx, and... It has a Burlington coat factory. Oh, you can think all all the weird knickknacks between TJ Maxx and Burlington that you can find. I mean... You know, what do you want? Some uh, some marked down uh, artisanal syrups for your for your coffee drinks. I think it's in in the in the checkout line. It's right there. You want some kettle corn? Yeah, it's weird. (laughs) You go there's a haberdashery now. 
Yeah, yeah. Burlington is a haberdasher. It is technically a haberdasher. Yeah. That's true. It, it's a it's a multi purpose dashery, really. Um, I, I think there's they sell women's clothes there, and it's weird because you think it's a, they say it's a factory, sort of like the cheesecake factory. Seems like false advertising to me. You go to the cheesecake factory. I want to see like conveyor belts with robots slicing cheesecake. Same with this. I want to see you know industrial revolution type gear making coats before my very eyes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I looked, I I wanted to see whether there was a factory too when I was a kid. This is an episode for another day in the history of Burlington Coat Factory. And so we are drawing to a close of Surprising Former Careers, part two in our continuing series. There's some stuff we didn't get to. Steve Buscemi, really interesting dude. We don't want to spoil it too much because we have more Surprising Former Careers on the way. We would love to hear your thoughts over at our Facebook page, Ridiculous Historians. But Noel, Max, what better way to end this episode than to talk a little, you know, a little trivia. Maybe it's not a whole story, but uh, Max, you dug up some really cool fast facts about some other notable celebrities. Yeah, I mean, I think the one, I mean, I don't want to really say too much because we might use these in the future. I mean, I like this as a recurring like series, but like there's a lot of them who worked in the sex industry, like Whoopi Goldberg. I mean, Guinan, Guinan of all people. Mm-hmm. She was a phone sex operator. I mean, she always says on TNG, she always says to Picard, she's a great listener. She's, a, she's from a people of listeners. <laughs> it seems like, you know, she did that in the past. That's a hard job, too. I've always thought, you know, um, there's so, yeah, Whoopi Goldberg. Uh, let's see. Was it John Hamm also had a career in the adult industry for a time or a gig at least? Oh, uh, I just yeah. heard, I heard he had a big old ding dong. <laughs> um, but I mean, I guess those things are not mutually exclusive. I, I didn't know that he was an adult. Oh, uh, he wasn't the talent. He was set Oh, okay. Got it. Um, what's his name? Um, Willem Dafoe, also known known large, uh, large yeah. Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was in sort of a weird theater group. Uh, I mm-hmm. wouldn't call it porn exactly, but you can find full nude hangdong video of, uh, of our boy Willem. Um, Performance artist. Helicoptering yeah, yeah. that thing around. Yeah, they also they also used a uh, stunt double, I think, in may have been the film Antichrist. Antichrist, they did just because mm-hmm. they wanted a more believable Australia for the guy. That's right. uh, so they're like, all it's supposed to be like disturbingly large, right? Correct. I've seen it. Yeah, like medically interesting. Like <laughs> like Dirk Diggler. People territory. are worried that okay. people are worried for his health. All like, right, we're we're we're, uh, we're making so many high school teachers regret <laughs> playing this episode for their students. So let's get out it. Let's get out of here one with one last uh, one thing we wanted to establish. Want to end on this? We can do an entire episode just about former occupations of clergy members. There was a pope who was a bouncer. Yeah, and now he's a bouncer for the Lord. Well, yeah, yeah. He's definitely man in the door. You know what I mean? Ideologically and religiously. But this is just to show you that there are many more former careers out there. We even talked a little bit about 
get in kind of meta talking about our own former careers, let us know if that is interesting to you. In the meantime, tune in. We have so much more cool stuff ahead. We're going to get to mustard. Thanks to everybody who wrote in and, and with some ideas about condiments. There's a huge mustard debate. There's several huge mustard debates, and we're going to get to all of them. We're also going to explore even more strange pieces of ridiculous history. We're so grateful you tuned in. We can't wait to hang out again very soon. In the meantime, thanks to our research associate, super producer, Mr. Max Australia Williams. He gets it. He gets us the double thank you and one nugget there. So we don't get to thank him again. In fact, I think you've about worn out your thank you welcome here, Max. And you won't be getting any more thank yous from us for some time. No, I'm kidding. We'll thank you till the cows come home. You're a favorite human. Um, so thank you again, Max. And I'm sorry for what I said. I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. That was a real emotional roller coaster, Noel. I know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how to respond to all that. <laughs> I don't have to. I liked it. I liked it. Just uh, love thanks. me. Thanks, of course. Thanks, of course, to uh, the one and only Mr. Noel Brown. Thank you to Jonathan Strickland, uh, who has a surprising former career as not being our nemesis. True. In a a past life. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Let's see. Who else? Thanks also to, of course, uh, Chris Frasiotis, Eve's Jeffcoat. Uh, Thanks to, oh, you know, I want to say, Thanks to our pals Diana and Eli over at Ridiculous Romance. Thanks to our pals Zarin and Elizabeth over at Ridiculous Crime. And thanks, of course, to our good pals Mark and Bill over at Ridiculous News. If you like this show, you're going to love all three of those shows. Uh, So give give them a little TLC, drop a rating for them or us, and let's make sure that (laughs) <laughs> Let's make sure that we can keep podcasting our current career. How about that? Mm-hmm. Also, if you just think our show is okay, their shows are better than ours. So, yeah, there you go. You'll like them. See you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon Waterways can go where the big ships can only dream through winding passageways of rolling vineyards and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time. Special offers await at AvalonWaterways.com. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count.
With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.